Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Peter Meech, a.k.a. The Pistol. To the left of me is Breck Snyder, a.k.a. Feed Them Hips. Why you gotta go there? No. They, don't, they don't know. They can't see this oh, fucking well. backpack. Oh, well. Oh, well. Today we got an exciting show. We are going to be talking some MBA. MBA. <laughs> MBO. MBA. For the first time on the podcast, we're going to do a little review of what to expect for the NBA, some power rankings here and there on some teams that are going to be relevant. We'll also talk about some college football that happened, and we also want to talk about some Utah Jazz and even our local teams such as Brigham Young University and some Utah Utes. But before we go into that, we want to talk about... Go and find us on iTunes. We are on iTunes. We've done a shitty job at promoting ourselves. Mama, we made it. <laughs> I mean, I think they let anyone on there, but... Yeah, but we still made it. It's yeah. iTunes, dog. Yeah. iTunes? <laughs> so, Legit. be sure to find us on iTunes. Again, I'm a huge supporter of Anchor. Anchor has helped us really get the podcast going and get it out to all these different platforms. We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, I don't even Some know. A few all, other ones. All sorts Your of Your favorite others. podcast places. Yeah, we're, we're definitely there. So if you can go to iTunes, give us a review. We'd really appreciate it. And subscribe. And subscribe, absolutely. And one other thing, go and listen to uh, my buddy's podcast, Force of Nature, uh, with Matthew D. Hamilton. Uh, I was actually on his podcast a few nights ago, and really the stories were based off of people that have died by unusual animal attacks. Um, and mine was about being in a cockfight and some guy who got stabbed in the leg and died two hours later by a fucking rooster. So go and listen to it. There's a few other crazy stories. Uh, I, I think you'll all enjoy it. But again, like Pete said, we want to talk about the NBA. We want to go into college football and then just some of the local teams. So with that being said, NBA is right around the corner. Um, the 18th. 19th. 19th. Utah plays the Oh, the 19th. oh, gotcha. Yeah, so the reason why I say the 19th is Peter and I have plans. We're going to go to the... Date the night. Fucking boys night. Okay. Uh, date night. Boys night. Jesus. Brit, brit. You are a home record. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go to the Jazz. The Jazz home opener game against the Warriors, defending champs. Um, Jazz are actually picked number two in the West this year behind the Warriors, so... Uh, I mean, you have the Lakers who everyone – I don't think anyone's expecting the Lakers to be up at the top right now, even though they got LeBron during the summer. Um, And then the Houston Rockets and maybe even the Spurs. I feel like the Spurs got DeMar DeRozan, and they could potentially be a a good pick as well. But I guess thoughts on Jazz Warriors, home opener, and then anything else that you have NBA-related. So it's a little bit scary – for the Utah Jazz because last year they didn't have high expectations. They were like, okay, they could probably sneak into the playoffs here and there. They exceeded those expectations. Why did they, though? Why did they? Yeah. I think it's because they drafted a rookie in... uh, Donovan Mitchell? Donovan Mitchell that was balling out all year and played a lot better than uh, what a rookie should, which is why he was in the hunt for rookie of the year, and eventually it was between Bro, him and Ben he, Simmons. How did he not win though? Because wasn't who was it that won? Ben, ben Simmons. Yeah, but he fucking played the year before, right? 
Yeah, it's the whole dilemma that they had with, like, is he a rookie or is he not? He was ba- basically in the NBA for an entire year. He didn't play last year, so he still had the whole rookie thing. But the argument is is that he was still getting exposed to the NBA. He was getting NBA workout. He wasn't workouts. He wasn't like Donovan Mitchell where he was going to school and doing all that shit. Okay. So, but with that said, the Utah Jazz are going to be in a scary place for me. It's... It could either be like a scenario where they have too much expectation, um, and then now nowadays everyone in the West is looking at them, right? No one's going to be surprised that the Utah Jazz are doing good, but everyone's going to be surprised if they're doing bad. So it's in a very scary situation for me where it's like I think the Utah Jazz are going to take that next step, and I think them taking a next step is not necessarily the team taking the next step. It's actually Donovan Mitchell actually taking that next step and actually becoming an all-star. They picked up Grayson Allen from Duke, which should be a great signing. I'm actually interested to see what he does this year. Yeah, but Grayson Allen, he was such a fucking douchebag at Duke. He's always getting caught for tripping and, like, just doing, like, I don't know, just being a douchebag. But I think he's that type of player. But does that that come over to the NBA? Regardless, I think that's the type of player you want to play with. You know, it's like you always hate that player until he's on your team, right? Because I think he's the type of person that's going to give it all, everything you have. Like, he did that for for Duke. He definitely gave it his all, you know, and he never half-assed anything. And I think he's prepared to do that for the Jazz. And I think that's the type of mentality that the Jazz want. That's that blue-collar mentality that Utah is. So, I think for me, the next step for the Utah Jazz is to see what Donovan Mitchell does. Does he take that next step as an all-star? I think he is. I think he's going to take his offseason seriously and see what is he going to do to improve himself? Like, what are his weaknesses? What can he do to better himself? And how can he prepare himself for that next step? Which is also going to be helping the Jazz take that next step. Same with Rudy Gobert as well, the defending defensive player of the year. I'm super excited to see what he does. Can he become a little bit more predictive in the offensive end, right? Right now, the power rankings for ESPN has them at six, and I think that's a perfect spot for them. They're definitely in the upper echelons of teams in the NBA, and I think that's a very high pick for them, and I think potentially who's ahead of them. I think OKC is ahead of them. I think they're better than OKC. I think they potentially are better than Toronto as well. I don't think they're as good as Boston or Houston, which is three and two, or Boston's number two and Houston's number three in the power rankings. And then you have uh, Golden State Warriors, which is leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else. See, it's funny, though, because the power rankings came out and saying that Houston is number three, mm-hmm. um, but they're also saying that the Jazz are going to be number two by the end of the season behind the Warriors. But I think that's maybe just in the West, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay, and, okay. and the Rockets are in the West. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So maybe that's just how it is now. Maybe the the Rockets. I don't know. I mean, I don't think anyone would be surprised if the Jazz actually ended up second. Right. I think for me, the Jazz need to be somewhere between one and five. I think more realistically, it's going to be five, four and three. You know, maybe they can make that step and be number two. But I think anything lower than that, I think your expectations weren't met. Because last year, they were just the type of a team that's like, okay, they need to make the playoffs, but they ended up in five, right? Or four or five, they were around there. So for me, it's like, okay, how do, how do we end up consistently in that position? How do we make sure that we take that leap forward and end up in three or four or maybe even two potentially? So let's talk about the Warriors, right? They're the defending champs. You know, they're going to be coming to Utah for the home opener. 
I mean, do you see the Warriors suffering at all from... Hell no. No. I mean, neither do I, but I mean... Who who do they just pick up? DeMarcus Cousins? The reason why I say that is exactly that. It's kind of bullshit. Like, this is the issue that I have with the Warriors, right? They end up in 2016, end up losing to LeBron James, and their mentality is, is like, the only way we can beat LeBron James is if we pick up someone else. So they pick up the second best player in the league in uh, Kevin Durant. Now it's like the similar situation where it's like they're already stacked, they're already good. You know, they almost lost to Houston. Houston, if arguably could have beat them if they had Chris Ball. They look like the better team. And now the mentality that they have is like, okay, we'll pick up DeMarcus Cousins and then we'll be back on top. And it's like every year they get better and better. They pick up someone else. And I kind of blame the NBA for this. I think they should have done something about DeMarcus Cousins. I don't think they should have let him just automatically go to, uh, to, um, to the Warriors. But I also think, too, it's like, how the hell did no one else pick him up? How the hell did no one else give him a max contract? He was just sitting around waiting. Yeah, yeah. and he eventually just took the one year from the Warriors. And it's like, don't we, I don't blame the Warriors, but at the same time, I kind of blame the league for allowing it to happen. And I blame other, other organizations for allowing it to happen, right? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because you think about the... Who was it? Was it Chris Paul mm-hmm. back in the day? Like maybe eight, to the Lakers, 10 years yeah. ago or something like yep. that? Going to the Lakers and they blocked from the New trade. Or- yeah, from New Orleans to L.A. They actually blocked the trade because they said it was quote-unquote unfair. But, I mean, now you have the, the Golden State Warriors. You have like this super you have, team. You have a team that in 2016, or, or I think it's 2016, 2015, 2016, won 73 wins, 73 games. Yeah, they only and then they picked games. up, And then they picked up the second best player in the world on, on a 73-win team. But, I mean... And, as- and last year they were... A, leaps and bounds better than everyone else but, but if you're kevin durant and you're a free agent and you're testing the market and you have someone that's willing to pay for you what do you like you say not no i'm not gonna go to the warriors i don't want to win championships no it's not it's not that i think i think he just kind of gave up when he was in uh okc and when he was in okc they were clearly the better team they were, good they team. were up three one in the series and they ended up blowing it um they were the better team. Regardless of what happened, they were the better team. And it just seemed like he just joined the better team. And also, too, it's like Kevin Durant. Like, who are you to judge LeBron James for leaving to Miami? You joined a 73-win team. Miami, before LeBron James, was trash, was garbage. So for me, that's the issue that I have with Kevin Durant leaving to the Warriors is that it's a, it's kind of like – you're, you're not practicing what you're preaching, right? Like you're constantly giving other people, players, fl- flack for not being loyal. You you gave LeBron James a lot of flack on Twitter when he joined the Heat. And here you are doing something worse than what LeBron James did, joining a team that won 73 wins. How many wins did Miami Heat have before LeBron James? I don't even think they made the playoffs that year. So who are you to judge? Like, in my opinion, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to back LeBron James on this, but at the same time, I think it was, 
I know we're kind of getting a little off topic, but that's okay. It's still NBA. But I do <laughs> think that the Warriors are easily number one. I think Boston, depending on what they do, they had Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward injured, and they still almost made it to the NBA Finals. The I think, only one that beat them was LeBron James. Exactly. I think they're going to be scary next this this year. I think it's. I think Boston's going to be the clear cut favorite in the East. I think Philly's going to be a far second. I still think they have a lot of rookie talent. Even behind Toronto. Toronto's looking pretty scary. And, I could and see now they have uh, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard. I think Kawhi Leonard is definitely a improvement. They also. But but remember, they also have Danny Green too, which is going to be. Remember when they picked up Kawhi though? He did not want to. He didn't want to go to Toronto, yeah. but he looks like he looks like he's all in. He looks like he's enjoying the joining, enjoying his um, stay in Toronto. And I think the fan base is really going to win him over. Like they have such a cool fan base there, and I think the organization's going to potentially win him over. I do think it was kind of fucked up what they did. Pardon my French. I do think it was kind of messed up what they did with Demar Derozan, um, just letting him yeah, go like that I and pro- promising him that he's always going to be a Raptor and all that, and then just trading him. Um, they did end up getting Kawhi Leonard, Danny Brown, and Greg Monroe. No, Danny Green. Danny Green. Sorry, Danny Green and Greg Monroe, which was a fantastic pickup for. Uh, the Raptors. I think the Raptors are going to be good. I don't know where they're going to. I think they're going to fall somewhere between two and three. But I do think Philly makes that jump and potentially gets that second spot. So where do you think OKC falls? Because I mean, you know, um, Russell. I did. Russell Westbrook absolutely went off last year. Like he was averaging what a triple double but he's every like, game. The thing that I have a problem with Russell Westbrook is like he's a pat statter, right? Like he, I just feel like he's purposely taking rebounds away from the centers just so he can pat his stats, so he can have that triple double. He's purposely shooting shots when yeah. he could have passed it or when he could have done it, something else. But at the same time, at least for as far as the rebounds go, like. You're like, not going to be mad at him yeah. for rebounding the ball, are you? No, I'm not mad at him, but it's like the more often than not, like if you watch the tape, it's like he's literally taking rebounds away from centers. Like the center's about to grab it, and he p- comes in and takes it. Like it just seems like to me he's just like a pat statter, right? Like he wants to get the triple-double. He wants to be known as that. Like it's almost like the stats are more important to him than it winning is, right? Where someone like Utah Jazz, like what makes Utah Jazz so good, number one, is like they have really good players. They have this great defender and – uh, Rudy Gobert, and then they have this rising all-star in Donovan Mitchell, and then they have the supporting cast of veterans and role players that can accommodate those players really well. But at the same time, what makes Utah Jazz special is that they have this coach, right? And everyone buys in on what this coach is saying, buys in the defensive mentality and getting better defensively, and that's how we're going to spark our offense and all that. So I think Utah has, I think Utah's coach is second to Greg Popovich, the Spurs coach. Um, in the West, I think he is up there with the top coaches. I think you easily could have made the case that he should have won Coach of the Year. And um, for me, that's that's it, right? Like I think that's a step that Utah is going to take, and I think that's a step. Like we, we we didn't even touch on the Lakers, but we can talk about that on the next episode. But yeah, okay. So look out for the Warriors, the Jazz, and I think for me. 
Warriors are going to be number one. I'm interested to see what the Jazz are going to do. I think they're going to be very interesting this year if they make that next step and become one of those elite teams in the West. And then also pay attention to Boston. I think Boston is a scary team. I think they are easily number two. It's just a matter to see if they can make that leap to number one. I don't think they can because the Warriors got better this year. Okay, so again, we are going to be going to the Jazz home opener against the Warriors. We want to meet people there. Again, we can record you and have you ask some questions on the podcast. And honestly, like for me, I'm not a huge basketball fan. I'm working into it now. Um, I want to know why people are Jazz fans or why people are Warriors fans because, let's be honest, the Warriors are probably Utah's second favorite team. You know they are. You know they are. So we, we want to talk to people there and, and just find out a few questions. So if you happen to be there, look for us. We're probably going to be in the nosebleeds because I'm a cheap bitch, but um, I'm not going to pay for cheap, like close seats. I'm just not going to do it. But anyways, um, moving on. So it looks like before we move on, it looks like October 16th is the start of the NBA season. Okay. So we did say 18th. The Jazz opener is on the 19th, but NBA gotcha. regular season. Okay. Thanks for the clarification. Yep, yep. Okay, moving on. We want to talk about um, the NBA brand. So still staying within the NBA, but we want to talk about who has the bigger brand. And Peter and I were already talking tonight and going back and forth on this. And I think there's a case that can be made for a few different people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, I, we, Michael Jordan has a huge, huge impact on the brand, uh, uh, his own personal brand throughout basketball. LeBron James, Steph Curry, uh, Kobe Bryant, like they, they still all have their brand, right? Now, again, this isn't necessarily like my forte of yeah. uh, of topic of discussion but i'm just curious to hear your thoughts and to share it with our listeners exactly where you think active players today fall within their role as you know having the bigger brand in the nba i think if we were to say who the biggest brand is in basketball i would say it's jordan if you're saying active players i would say clear-cut lebron james the reason why I still say Jordan is bigger than LeBron, like, I think it's a number of things. I think I think I'm over here sitting here watching college football. I'm watching English Premier League or I'm watching uh, even like uh, uh, PSG, which is a team in Paris for soccer, football. Um, and I see them wearing the Jordan logo. And to me, like, that just shows that this dude, this brand has crossed different areas of sports it's no longer just a basketball brand it's a sports brand in general like it's almost like a nike within nike in my opinion and just to see like to me it's just weird to see michigan play and seeing the jordan logo seeing someone holding a basketball as their sponsor or even even more so watching psg play and seeing the Jordan logo on their on their uniforms. And that just kind of shows that this is like that in itself is why it's the biggest brand. Now, let me ask you, you say it's weird to see that. Mm -hmm. But do you like that? Yeah, I like it. I don't I think it's just weird to see someone holding a basketball, someone holding a basketball as their logo in a soccer sport. Right. 
Well, I mean, but it's been in baseball forever. I mean, Derek Jeter wore the, yeah. the Jordan brand as well through. I mean, like even in college, I wore uh, Jordan branded gloves, like batting yeah, yeah. gloves. So, like, it's been in baseball. I think it's just because he played baseball. It's easier to to kind of jump into that brand, and he was in the whole system of baseball for a few years when he took that little break. But I. I I will say, even with the whole Jeter thing, like when they did his retirement, that they had like that whole respect to thing with Jordan. Yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah, I just think it's a little weird, but I think it's a weird in a positive way. Like, I think it's kind of cool to see that this brand has become bigger than just basketball. This is more so of like, I mean, Jordan's the most recognized player, period, right? Like, I think. You know, you could make a case for like Muhammad Ali or athlete period, but I think Jordan's just like the biggest brand in the world. You know, like soccer players idolize the Jordan brand. You have football players that idolize it. You have everything in between that kind of idolize what Jordan is and who Jordan was. Yeah, so I mean, for me, I'm actually a huge fan of the Jordan brand just going out to different sports, you know, whether it's football, Michigan started it for college football, Oklahoma jumped on board this year. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I wonder if like Oregon will take it on for their basketball team. I don't know that the, the, the football team would take it on, mm-hmm. but I think, the, I think the basketball team may take it on. Yeah. Um, and they're actually picked to win the Pac-12, but... I, I agree with you on Michael Jordan having the biggest brand overall. Uh, LeBron James, I mean, this is just me playing devil's advocate. I, I firmly believe that he actually does have the largest brand out of all active players. But I think there's a case that can be made for a few other people that are out there, right? Like you have Kevin Durant, who also, I mean, so LeBron James has a $32 million deal a year with with Nike. Um Eventually, it could be valued at over a billion by the time he's done playing basketball and moving on to other things. Um, but then Steph Curry, I mean, just like his brand and what he brings to the NBA, you know, obviously he brings championships. Mm-hmm. He, he Unfortunately, he's with Under Armour. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's the, the greatest brand to go with, but I, I think for Under Armour, that's a statement move. Them. I, I actually disagree. I think Under Armour is a perfect place for Steph Curry because it's kind of like the whole it's like I think what makes the Steph Curry brand so appealing is it's just like the whole underdog thing, right? Like I feel like I'm as tall as Steph Curry. I have the same build as Steph Curry and he's straight up killing it in the NBA, right? So and whereas someone like LeBron James who is like what is LeBron James like six six six, six seven, seven six, eight. Like you know two eighty who's a freak of nature like he's almost seen as like a god right like it's almost like the whole David and Goliath thing right like no one like I can't envision myself being LeBron James I can envision myself being a Steph Curry so to me like as a if I were a kid that that holds a lot of value right. You know, and especially growing up and to see like, hey, this guy's short, he's skinny, like, and he's straight up killing it in the NBA. That means I can do it as well. So that instills that sense of hope inside of me or inside of a kid, which is, I think, what makes the Steph Curry brand so interesting. And which is why I also think that Under Armour is a perfect fit for him because they're also labeled as kind of like that underdog, right? It's Adidas, Nike, and then way down there is everything else, right? So I think Under Armour is a huge, huge boost for Steph Curry, and I think their ideals kind of match within what they're trying to do 
um, and who they are. But with that said, I think I think to me this isn't even a race. I think LeBron James, as far as active players go, is leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else. Because I think so. So maybe the question is, who is leading the number two spot? I think number two would have to be Kevin Durant. Um, the reason why I say LeBron's number one, actually, no, you could make it. I don't know. Maybe I'll stick with Kobe because I think. Well, but he's not active though. Ah, that's true because he retired. A few, yeah. Okay. I'll go with Kevin Durant on that one, and I think the reason why is just because Kevin Durant is so close to making that next step of being the number one player in the world. I don't think that's ever going to happen as long as LeBron James is still in the league, but. There is going to be a moment, there's going to be a year or two where Kevin Durant is going to be known as the best player in the league. And unfortunately for him, I think it's the whole like Scottie Pippen Jordan thing where people didn't realize how like 10 years, 10 years down the line, people aren't going to realize how clutch and how awesome Kevin Durant was because of LeBron James. It's almost like the whole Pippen thing, right? People don't realize how fucking important Pippen was to the Bulls because of Michael Jordan, because of how important, how baller Michael Jordan was. But they didn't realize that Pippen was just as big as Jordan. So with that said, I do think that when LeBron James retires, whenever that is, I think there's going to be a moment in time where Kevin Durant is going to be realized as the best player in the league. But... You never know because fucking LeBron James is getting better and better as he gets older. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think there's still people. I mean, Steph Curry, obviously, when they had that crazy win season, it was it 70, 73. 73 wins. Um, the, Steph Curry went off that season. Yeah. He was incredible. But he um, did struggle in the playoffs, and I yeah. think that diminishes what he did in the regular season. No, I mean, it, I, I'm definitely going to agree with you there, but. The thing about the Warriors is I think they're just they're such a team oriented basketball team yeah. that if you have a player like Steph Curry who's struggling, the other p- players pick up yeah. the pieces. And yeah, you do have KD and he came over, but even before then, um, you know you have other people in there like Clay uh, uh, Thompson and uh, Draymond Green, Draymond Green, Pachulia, and even this year I think or right. last year like. Um, Nick uh, Nick Thompson, Swaggy Iguodala, P, dude. Iguodala as Iguodala, well. Iguodala, yeah, but like even Swaggy P just coming yeah. off like being very aggressive and. But that's that's the knack. Like this, this is kind of like. This is kind of like what bugs me, right? Before LeBron James won a title, it was always like, oh, he didn't win a title. He didn't do this. He's not he's not performing for his team and all this crap. But people fail to realize that. It was basically this guy that was like a few years into the league that was taking this cast team to the finals. Like, of course, they're going to lose to the Spurs. Of course, they're going to lose to whoever they match up with. Right. Because it was LeBron James and then the rest of the fucking league. It was LeBron James versus whoever they were playing that time, you know, and whoever they were playing for that seven game series in the finals. Yeah. So for me, it's like, of course, they got swept by the Spurs back in the day, right? Of course, he never got that ring until he went to Miami because it was the first time ever where he was actually paired how, up with someone else. Yeah, and he was so young, too. And then, and then also, people forget, like, he put up 25 points in the fourth quarter against the Detroit Pippen, uh, or yeah, Pistons. Pistons Pippen, I'm Pippins. thinking. Yeah. Come on, man. Uh, Detroit Pistons in, uh, I can't remember when it was, but he put up 25 points in the fourth quarter in overtime and basically carried that team into the finals against the Pistons, who are arguably the better team, who were the better team. 
Okay, so if we were to recap, we're saying LeBron James is number one among current players. The reason why LeBron James is number one, we haven't even touched on this. The reason why LeBron James is number one is because he is way more than an athlete. I think he does more so outside of the game of basketball, and he gets recognized in... he gets recognized in other avenues of sports, not just basketball. Whereas Kevin Durant, he's well-known within the basketball circle, where I think LeBron James exceeds that, which is why I think LeBron James could potentially become the next Jordan brand. Okay. Okay. College football. College football. So today we, we watched a few games. Uh, one, particularly the Oregon Ducks versus the Washington Huskies. And, dude, I mean, this this is exactly what we thought this game was going to be, right? Yep. Um, Oregon came in with Justin Herbert, Jake Browning from Washington, and we knew that these were going to be two great quarterbacks. And, seriously, every time they had to step up, they did. You know what I mean? Like, Jake Browning, uh, he, he did a great job of stepping back into the pocket, making, you know, extending plays and and having deep passes downfield. Like, over and over and over, he had this happen. Yeah. Justin Herbert, even with his fucking touchdown, initially, or I think it was like in the third quarter, actually, second or third quarter, you know, getting one foot in and just throwing a fucking dime, dude. And people are talking about Justin Herbert being the number one quarterback uh, for the NFL draft this year. And it makes me wonder if he's going to jump to that and actually go to the NFL. But that's another discussion. But, there, I mean, he's that type of quality quarterback right now. But I guess what were your thoughts and wh- what do you think about the Oregon Ducks moving forward after this win? I'm actually, I'm actually putting a lot of stock into the Oregon Ducks after this game. And the reason why is because this is like the first time that I could remember where Oregon was more balanced. Every other year, you know, especially with like the Mariota years, years or the years where they went to um, the championship and all that stuff, they were always so one-dimensional, right? It was always like their offense would beat you, their defense never beat you, you know. And for them to hold uh, Miles Gasket to 15 carries, 69 yards, and no TDs, I know he got inter- injured towards the end. And yeah, but, the but, but a lot of their running backs actually picked up the slack, and yeah. they were running very yeah. hard. But it was still very impressive to see that the Oregon Ducks did a great job of containing this offense. You know, like even Jake Browning didn't have – like he had a key interception. He also had a touchdown, and he had 243 yards. Nothing that's – you know, nothing that's going to blow you away. Like last year he actually went off and had like six TDs or something like that. Or two years ago, six TDs and just completely just dismantled Oregon at Oregon. You know, and for me it's like that's what I – that's every year that's what I expect from Oregon, right? They're always going to beat up these teams that can't contain with their offense. But as soon as they have someone that – can contain that's more balanced like a Washington where, you know, we always talk about it, right? Washington's a very well-balanced machine. You know, they're really good on defense and they're really good on offense. Oregon did a great job of of matching that. They were very well-balanced on defense and they were very well-balanced on offense. And that's why I'm kind of high on them. It's kind of a bummer. Like, I think Washington could have won this game. and Oh, they absolutely arg- could have. Arguably, you, sh- you could say that, like, if they just made – well, if they did make that they, kick, they, they would have won the game. The yeah. End. Um, but you could also say that Oregon deserved to beat uh, Stanford a few weeks back. You know, they were definitely 
they had like 10 points with three minutes left and or something like that, five minutes left, and, and uh, Oregon ends up blowing it and losing it. And I know you can't kind of go back in the past and think like that. Um, but but, but the, now after, after coming back from that loss and beating a number seven Washington Huskies team, mm-hmm. I, I think that says a lot about the Ducks, exactly. right? Like they didn't just like crumble. Yeah. I mean, I've been a fan for a, a long time now, and it just seems like it, it would be kind of like a slippery slope. As soon as they lost, it just didn't seem like they could put yeah. the pieces back together. You know, they they ended up having another game after that and then took a, a, a bye week and came back against Washington. And it seems like they came prepared. Yep. Um, one thing I want to touch on this game, though, is the there were a few targeting calls oh that were called during the game. One against Oregon, one against Washington, and both players end up being ejected. Now, the first call... The first call, essentially what happened is one of Oregon's defenders had hit, had led with the crown of his helmet. It was not initially called on the field as targeting. It was not initially called. And they go back and they decide to review it and say, okay, this guy should be thrown out of the game. It's a 15-yard penalty. I have a huge problem with that. Huge problem. And and for me, like... I don't under, it's like you're going back in time. It's almost like you're saying like, "Oh, we're looking at the halftime and we saw that we missed this call. We should call that and we should call that a touchdown even though it wasn't called." I know that's kind of an extreme, but that's like the direction that college football is going. That's the direction that football's going in where it's like if in my opinion, if you don't call it a penalty, you should not be able to to reverse that call. You should not be able to add a penalty on top of that play because you didn't call it at all. Now the second targeting, I have no problem with that because you threw the flag. You the, threw the flag. You, you called the it flag, targeting, and you reviewed it. He's kicked out. I get it. I you know we can have issues about that. I can respect that. But for the the Oregon player, I have no respect for that because it's you never threw a flag, and it's basically you're going back in time and saying we should have thrown a flag. Let's throw a flag now and punish this player. Yeah, like, and- you missed it. Own up to it. You missed it. Let's move on. And to me, it just takes so much more time because it's like half the time, both you and I are like holding our hands and holding. Holding our hands? God, are we dating? God, no. You know what I meant. Holding our hands. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. (laughs) But basically, we're very frustrated because they literally killed the mood of the game, right? Because it's like you have this penalty. The refs don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, the the announcers don't know what's going on, and everyone in the in in the arena doesn't know what's going on, and it just literally des- destroys the flow of the game. Where it's like ten minutes later, we have a break in the action, and then finally we get back to it, and then now we're going to commercial break, and it literally for a fan just kills it. And I think they need to solve that problem. Like I get that you're trying to get every play right, but at the same time, it's like you didn't call it, yeah. So you shouldn't be able to go back and call it again, yeah. I mean, I I completely agree with you. It doesn't matter if it's the Ducks or not. For me, it just slows down the game. Well, it happened with Utah versus Washington a few weeks back. We were joking. We were making the joke watching this game that it seemed like it was the the same refs from the Utah-Washington game because it seemed like they were just going to start this bullshit where they're like, oh, we're going to review every play. Was it targeting or not? Uh, And there was no flag on the field. No flag. They've still reviewed a play. Now, the other part of it, right, was – 
the the targeting against the Washington player for hitting Justin Herbert, leading with his crown of his helmet. But Justin Herbert spun into it, and it just there was no other way yeah. around it. It was going to happen. What do you do in that situation? It, uh, targeting is such a hard thing because I know they're trying to make the game safer. Unfortunately, football is what it is, and I think everyone understands the risks that are involved with it. Um, I don't know. We should bring... We should talk about targeting on a completely different episode because there's a whole lot that we can dive into. Well, especially for that play, it's like as a defensive player, like what the hell is he supposed to do? Like he's running full speed, um, and then all of a sudden he's running full speed trying to make a play. Well, and and all of a sudden the quarterback stops and turns around and he just runs right into him. Like he has no time for him to make a perfect tackle on that. He literally just runs into him. And, of course, like, their helmets hit, right? And you could say, like, it's not that he launched with the helmet. It's not like he did anything like that. Like, I get that, yes, they made the right call. That was targeting, right? But I I, I can't blame that defensive player. And I don't feel comfortable throwing him out of the game because it's like this offensive player, the quarterback, turned around and ran right into him. I agree. I agree. Now, other than Jake Browning's second play from scrimmage interception, which actually helped the Oregon offense out, he was a stud pretty much the rest of the game. Oh, yeah. He was he was a real oh, yeah. game manager. He didn't throw up crazy numbers by any means, but I, you know I think it was third or fourth down, and they were well. There's a few of them like that. But when uh, they threw it out to the flats, mm-hmm. and he ended up getting the first down. Right, that kept the drive going. That got him in field goal range, and that got him into the field goal opportunity that they had to win the game against Oregon. Now it's it's interesting, right? Because Oregon had the two timeouts. The the field goal kicker ended up missing the first one. He made the second one, but a timeout was called. And then the third one ends up missing it and going to overtime. And one thing that's good about this is um, Oregon ends up winning the toss in overtime. They play defense first, which is what you always want to do. And end up, I mean, I'm sitting there talking shit. And I'm like, I really trust Oregon's defense. I think that they can stop them. And they end up getting like fucking 15, 20 yards on their first play from yeah. scrimmage. It, but then they held them to a field goal, they, and they, all they needed was five yards to score a TD, which yeah. was like a few, couple years. Uh, Oregon of past would never would never have stopped an offense with uh, f- five yards to go. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I think what you said earlier about Oregon is like we're just going to ride our offense. We're yeah. going to score more points than you mm-hmm. to beat you. Um, I, I think that's the thing of the past. Jim Levitt. He is one hell of a defensive coordinator. He actually came over from Colorado a few years ago. Um, but anyways, Oregon holds him to uh, to a field goal, and then they end up getting the ball. They make a few great plays, and then to finally win the game, they hand the ball off to C.J. Verdell, who takes it right up the middle, hits a perfect hole, and scores the winning touchdown. And, you know, I talked about it right there, and then the reporters were talking about it after. It was like, okay, how important is that, that they let C.J. Verdell, the guy who fumbled the ball against Stanford when Oregon's already up in the game. Who lost the game for Oregon. He lost the game for Oregon against Stanford. How much trust do they put in this guy still 
to go out and win the game. And I obviously a hundred percent of their trust because yep. they, they did it. And I was, I was really hyped about that. They mentioned it. He talked about it and he, you know, I, I I'm super happy that he did it because he's a true freshman. And I think he has a lot that he can do at, at, you know, university of Oregon, you know what the difference is between this Oregon team and past Oregon teams. I think they're mentally tougher. I think so too. I think they have like, if they ever get put in the situation where it's a back and forth game, I think Oregon of past would have crumbled. Yeah. Because they weren't mentally tough. They were so used to just blowing you out. Whereas this Oregon team, it's like, yes, they can blow you out. They're well prepared to blow you out. And they have the potential to blow you out on the offensive end. But they also have the the potential to play a grinded out game like today. Oh, yeah. Where it's back and forth. Where one quarterback's making a move and other players making a move on the other side. And it was just a very back and forth, gritty, mental battle between these two teams. Also, for me, what was also impressive on the offensive end, and maybe this isn't too much of a surprise, is just the consistency all around. Like, uh, Justin Herbert didn't have a crazy game. He had 202 for two TDs. Verdell had 11, uh, 29 carries for one, uh, 111 yards with two TDs. And then Dylan Mitchell had uh, eight receiving for Within five yards, f- five yards, five yards, Dylan Mitchell scurbed fucking three guys, yeah. though, yeah. to score his touchdown yeah. when he easily could have blown by them. And I don't know. But, but that's impressive to me. I think they have a clear cut number one. In the receiving core, they still have solid receivers here and there. Well, well, you look at it, though. Justin Herbert does a great job of distributing them. Yeah. They have six different receivers that got touches today yep. and two different receivers with touchdowns. C.J. Verdell carried the load but that's, the other but two. That's what I'm saying. It's just like they have a clear-cut number one in receiving and they have a clear-cut number one in running, right? And for me, I think I think if they had one or the other, it would be easy to shut that that star player out, but where they have a star player in receiving and a star player in rushing or a potential star player since he is a freshman, um, it's very hard to, you either got to commit to the run or you got to commit to the throw, right? And it's at that point, it's kind of like what we talked about before. It's like pick your poison. That's what makes their offense so good this year. But what makes Oregon as a team better this year, number one, is that their defense is finally caught up to the offense to a degree. And number two, they're mentally tough this year, where if they do get down by a touchdown, if they do, if they are losing the game for majority of the of the match, they still have the potential to win because they're more mentally prepared for it. I agree. Okay, so moving on. Um, again, go Ducks. Super fucking stoked about that. But Utah, University of Utah, go Utes. They Let's they go. They look better this week. I mean, well, I, even against Stanford, they looked really good. Dude. Yeah, they. I mean, for me. I don't know. Bryce Love was hurt in the Stanford game. I didn't have a chance to watch it, so I can't really say a whole lot about that. But at least playing against Arizona, Utah came out and they made a statement this week yeah. that, hey, we're we're not some lollipop team. Like We can come out and, and we can compete and we can hit you in the fucking mouth and play hard-nosed football. And they did that and they made a lot of big plays and ended up fucking crushing them. So, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I still have a lot of question marks for the University of Utah football. Um, I think I have more question marks than I do answers, but I am liking the progress that I'm seeing. You can tell that the offensive coordinator is giving Huntley a little bit more trust. You know, like I remember when we watched the, uh, the Huskies game or Washington, we were kind of like 
jokingly, but at the same time being serious to to by saying that Utah didn't have anything above 20 yards throwing. They didn't. And that kind of just shows you that the offensive coordinator just kind of doesn't have trust in Hunley. And I don't like I don't think that's the case because he can easily beat you through the run. And I think he has an arm. I don't think he has a crazy arm, but he has an arm that can do some damage. Right. And for me, it's just like this kind. Of, this game kind of proves it. They really spread it out uh, receiving. You know, they had a few players that had more than 40 yards. They had four players that had more than 40 yards. He really spread the ball around quite well. You know, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players that touched the ball on the receiving end. So that, to me, kind of shows me a lot of progress within Hunley. But I think the bigger question mark is, is, is this offensive coordinator, is Witt, going to give the offensive coordinator the ability to, tr- to trust uh, Huntley and give him the reins and really allow him to do what he needs to do to potentially get this team to the next level? That's the question mark for me. I don't think so. I think they're so week to week, man. Like mm-hmm. you never know which Utah team you're going to get. And it's it's like it seems like they have a game plan going into it and as soon as there's a sign of trouble, the youths are just out. They're done. They they're like, "Okay, shit. Like we're going to figure this out on the fly." And I, I kind of disagree with that because I'm seeing progress, right? Especially within Stamford, right? They put up 40 points. They only allowed 21. And don't don't get me wrong, like I get that that Bryce Love wasn't there, but Stanford's offense is still pretty damn good. They have some tight ends and they have some wide receivers that can make plays. And a quarterback that is, I think he's a senior, right? Uh, I believe a junior. A junior has been around the system for a while. He knows what he's doing. And then even take a look at this Arizona match. Like I get that it's Arizona, but only put up 10 points or, or only allowed 10 points and well, put up 42 Yeah, but points. keep in mind, though, Khalil Tate, their starting quarterback, ended up getting hurt in like the first or second quarter, and then they went to their second string, and he ended up sucking, and they went to their third string, fucking Rhett Rodriguez, who is the ex-head coach's son. So, I But mean, even when the starting quarterback was still in, Utah was still dominating the game. They were. They were. I'll give you that. But, I mean, I, I would like to see the best Arizona had to offer against Utah. But I guess what I'm trying to say, though, is I think I think Utah, they're playing USC at home next week. You know, USC, I mean, they're, we were talking about it today. USC is the type of team, as soon as they lose a few games, they're out of, like, national contention. No one's fucking talking about them. That's exactly what's happening this year. I could also see Utah losing to yeah. USC next week. And the whole fucking program is like, oh, what should we be doing? Is, is what the right guy? Well, I mean, I think... I think that's the, you know, I think from week to week, any team could be any team in the Pac-12, which is why both you and I think the Pac-12 is very good. You know, like I get that their team, like UCLA is down this year. USC is down this year. But you have Arizona State beat Michigan State. You could see Utah losing to them. Colorado is undefeated. And then you have Oregon on the schedule as well. And then on top of that, BYU at the end of the season. So I think from week, it is definitely a week from week to week mentality. But the one thing that I'm impressed with is Utah's resiliencies and growth, right? That game against Stanford was a must win for Utah. And it was also a must win for Stanford because that kept their hopes alive for a national championship. Mm -hmm. Um, Now they have two losses with that loss against Utah. 
So it was a huge statement when that game against Stanford. But I also think, too, within Arizona, too, showing us the progress, showing us that they can do this consistently. Now, with USC, it's just a matter of time. Let's see what happens, right? But I am liking what I'm seeing from the running backs. You have you have three running backs that went 50, uh, 50 yards or more. And I know that Zach Moss should have gotten a little bit more carries here and there, but you have... Three running backs that had three touchdowns and that had Zach Moss had 68, uh, Tyler Huntley had 64, and Armand Shine had 53. I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Armand Shine and Zach Moss. They're doing a really good job of splitting the carries. Zach Moss is getting a little bit more of that, but I think it's going to start equaling out as the season goes on. And I think that potentially opens up the passing game. But if Utah is to be successful... They need to take a little bit of a risk on Huntley, and they need to give him the ability to throw it. We saw the rewards of that against Stanford and Arizona, and I get it that it's a risk, and I get that he's going to make some bad, bad plays here and there. That's a given. But you can't just take that away from him once he makes that bad play and go safe ball and just run, run, run and be so one-dimensional because that's what's going to make you lose those games that you should win. I agree. Now, to finish it out, I want to talk about some teams that had some big games today. We're not going to dive too far into it, but Notre Dame continues their undefeated route. They won 19-14 against Pittsburgh, which Pitt played a really good game. Like well, they Pitt kept, always plays good against Notre Dame. They, it's always, kind play, of, they always play good against the top teams. Yeah. But, I mean, they're essentially the, the team in uh, – you know, the Big Ten or... No, they're in the Big East, right? Yeah. Or Big East isn't even a thing, I don't think. Yeah, fuck Pitt. Anyways. We <laughs> <laughs> never said that. <laughs> but Notre Dame, you know, struggled against them. Michigan State ended up beating Penn State. Um, it looks like LSU beat Georgia. LSU number 13, Georgia number 2. So I think we need to keep our eyes on LSU, see what they're all about, and how does Georgia rebound from this. Um West Virginia lost to Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Iowa State is like the the team within the Big Twelve that can just ruin your season, and I think that's exactly what they did for for West Virginia. Um, Missouri there for a while was giving Alabama a oh, scare in quotations, but Alabama ended up pulling off. Colorado Colorado looks like they're about to lose to USC twenty eight fourteen in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So. I think I think USC it could be an interesting game for for them. So. So I, the two teams that I really want to talk about really quickly, the two teams that I'm really high on is Notre Dame and Texas. I think this week proved that both those teams can win a grinded-out game. You're, never, you're not going to win all of your games by a blowout. You're not going to no, win them not, so easily, right? To, and it shouldn't be that way. And it shouldn't be that way. Pittsburgh is a really good team. They always bring their A game against Notre Dame. It was definitely one of those quote-unquote trap games for Notre Dame. And I know that their schedule is easy going forward. But... For me, I've always waited every year. I've always waited for Notre Dame to make that big jump, right? And they always get to this point of the year where they potentially blow it and then they just totally fall off the map, right? And I think Texas is in the same boat. We've always been waiting for Texas to get back to the whole Vince Young era of Texas. We haven't seen Texas really in contentions from then. And I think this is the year where both Notre Dame and 
and Texas potentially make that leap. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to make that leap, but I think they potentially can make that leap. And I'm very high on both of those teams. I really like what Notre Dame's doing, and I really like what Texas is doing on both ends of the ball. So for me, be a lookout on them. It's going to be interesting to see what Notre Dame does. They definitely manhandled Stanford, and they really did a great job of controlling Stanford's uh, offense and and even exposing their defense, which is what they're known for. And then also, let's not forget what Texas did to Oklahoma. That was a hell of a match. And Oklahoma is no joke. I think we all know that. And I think that's no surprise from anyone. So be a lookout for them. They could potentially make that jump. Uh, Notre Dame did make that jump, and they got rewarded that fifth spot. You could arguably say that they deserve four or three. Um, but regardless, they're going to be in the top four since uh, who lost? Uh, Georgia lost. Yep. And um, be a lookout for Texas. I think Texas is going to make a huge push at the end of the season. Um, and if they continue this trek, it's going to be hard to leave them out as well. And I think it's going to be interesting because now you're going to have a non-conference team, an independent team that could potentially make this pick 10 times harder for the selection committee because that's what I've always been waiting for is Notre Dame. It's only Notre Dame that can do it, right? Notre Dame to make that big push so the selection committee is forced to keep out one of these power conference teams. Yep, absolutely. There's no one else that can do it. Uh, And then just to finally talk about Michigan handled business during prime time against Wisconsin. Beat them 38-13. So I think that has a lot well, to say, was, right? Was, they, they Wisconsin's have, trash because they lost to BYU. Oh, and BYU's yeah. trash. Just kidding. BYU's not trash. BYU sucks. But Michigan, let's see where they fall, right? I think yep. this is going to be interesting. I think Notre Dame keeps winning. That just makes Michigan's case a lot better to yep. keep moving up the ranks. So It's basically going to come down between Ohio State and Michigan. I think Michigan State could potentially scare one of these teams. But hopefully both these teams go independent and or not independent. Hopefully they go undefeated for the rest of the season. And I'm I really want to see a big Michigan Ohio State match. And I hopefully hopefully hope that Michigan wins. I'm not a big fan of Ohio State. I'm sorry. Me either. I so. mean my my old man's from Michigan, so I always support the Wolverines. But other than that. So before before we finish off this episode, again, we want to make sure we're trying to get better at this. Um, again, find us on iTunes. Give subscribe. us a review. Subscribe. Give us five stars. Look for Spotify. us Spotify. Look for us on Instagram. Um, the the underscore spot, sports project dot, or dot com. Jesus Christ. Get your Rookies. shit together, Brack. Oh my God. Rookies. We may have a website one day though. Yeah, that'd be dope. <laughs> that would be dope. But what's be- the what's the Instagram handle one more time? The underscore sports project podcast. Dope. So look for us. Uh, We're going to be putting this episode out. Again, we want to thank Matt from um, Force of Nature podcast for giving us a plug. You know, anyone else that wants to come on and potentially talk about sports. If you suck, we probably won't talk to you. If you're cool, it's a maybe. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe for sure. Can Can we end on a quote? Yeah, end on a quote. All right, today's quote is something very special to me. We are going into the hip-hop genre, and we are talking one of my favorite albums of all time. This album is called Mad Villainy, and the group is called Mad Villain. The two, two people that consist of this group is MF Doom and Mad Lib, arguably one of the best MCs, arguably one of the best producers of all time. So without further ado, 
we are going to be quoting a song called Curls. And it goes a little something like this. Villain get the money like curls. They just trying to get a nut like a squirrel in this mad world. Land of milk and honey with the swirls. Where reckless naked girls get necklace of pearls. Compliments of the town jeweler. Left back, no schooler, trying to sound cooler. On the microphone, I know as a crown ruler. Please listen to this album. It is considered a masterpiece. And to that, we are gone. Let's go, ducks. Let's go. 